The Badass Counseling Show is brought to you by Born Primitive, a line of fitness and lifestyle apparel designed to move you through your toughest challenges in life. Visit bornprimitive.com. From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. So, you made it, and it's so good to have you here. I am Sven Erlinson, and this is the Badass Counseling Show, and you are tuned in, and we are so happy you are here. To all of those in Johannesburg, to uh, from there to Ravello, Italy, from Delhi to Elko, Nevada, which is one of my favorite sort of pit stops as I take that long cruise across 80 from, you know, the right out of New York City, go across the U.S. and hit Omaha and and then you hit Elko. And Elko is a kind of a cool little uh, city. I like it. Some really met some beautiful people when we've been there in the past. So I want to give a shout out to those folks as well. I've got in studio with me today, Rob the Rocket. Rob, how are you? All I can say, Sven, is if you want to call me Rob the Rocket, what I have to say is, Houston, we have a problem. (laughs) No, we never have problems because you are the rocket. You are the one that ensures we continue to rocket up in uh, all the downloads and people listening and being hopefully positively impacted by the show. No pressure, thanks. (laughs) And we also have KC, not in the booth, but actually down sitting next to the commoners. How are you today, KC? Great to be here. How are you? I am lovely. And what is the greatest part about being here? Just all the people we're helping. Uh, well said. Well said. And I trust me, people, when I tell you I could not do it without these two. We are a team. Um, I have to give one little uh, sort of shout out because recently I went down to Washington, D.C., Ford's Theater, and I saw this new show that's been put to stage, Shout Sister Shout, about Sister Rosetta Tharp. Uh, who has been dubbed by, from Bob Dylan to Johnny Cash and Beck and uh, Eric Clapton as the godmother of rock and roll. And I saw that show. And I just saw yesterday in a news clipping that Michelle Obama was at the show uh, last night or the night before. I was there weeks ago, so I didn't get to see, you know, I mean, to see a president or president's wife, I don't care who the president is or who the president's wife is, it, it would have been a tremendous honor. But anyway, Shout Sister Shout was an amazing, amazing show. And uh, so this is my shout out to anyone involved, everyone involved with Shout Sister Shout. We've got a great show today. We've got two guests. We've got LOD, which was such a pretty name, and we've got Ryan. And uh, we're going to be talking to Ryan first. Rob, what can you tell me about Ryan? Here's what Ryan said to us. He said, I had started my journey to heal my past trauma after I was pushed to the point I was so fed up with the bullshit I've pushed down deep all my life. About this time last year, I was seriously contemplating ending it all, but I chose to look for help. Counseling was no help, but then there you were, and you helped me to climb out of the hole I was in and start to heal the pain. Now here I find myself faced with bigger problems getting out of the army. I have hope, but I'm just burnt out from what I can only explain as an existential crisis. Being broken, being a good husband, being a father of one with another on the way, all whilst transitioning into civilian life unexpectedly, is just becoming an extremely heavy load. I could use some wisdom here, signed very respectfully, Ryan. Ryan, so great to have you here with us today. How's it going, Spence? 
feel like a million bucks. And where are, thank you for asking. And uh, where are you calling in from today, Ryan? Uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana. Fort Polk, Louisiana. Wow. And is the sun shining in Louisiana today? Uh, it's a little cloudy out here, Spin. All right. Well, that's all right. It's it's sunny on our show because you are here, my man. Um, <laughs> I want to dive right in. All right. You said uh, last year I was seriously considering contemplating ending it all. Why? Talk to me. Everything that I have just been going through, and as you know, with the military, it's just bullshit. And um, becoming a father, um, you know, trying to make all the right decisions, being a good husband, just kind of just became a lot for me and I didn't know how to, I never had any tools to process it and manage it. And I, uh, kind of just really just got down and couldn't, couldn't take it for a minute there. And let me ask you of all of the things that were weighing so heavily on you, what was the heaviest, hardest part above all else? Uh, I'd have to say just not knowing what the fuck to do. And in what specific sector of life was it hardest uh, to not know what to do? What particular aspect? How to provide for my family, like in the long run, how to be the man that I feel like I need to be. Hmm. And did that feel like pressured? What was the biggest feeling equated with it? Uh, was it pressure? Was it confusion? Was it sadness? Was it anger? Let no one taught me. What was the biggest feeling that accompanied it? Definitely pressure. Were you getting that pressure from any external power sources? Were there people applying pressure to you? I, I would say me. It's mostly me, myself. And what was the fear that if you didn't, if you didn't provide long term, if you didn't step up, if you didn't create, if you didn't provide, if you didn't, uh, you know, quote unquote, man up, if you know, if you didn't solve it, what was the biggest fear that was just pounding at you? Uh, my family could wind up being homeless on the streets one day when I get out or wouldn't have the life that I want for them. Okay. And so you said sort of for a hot minute, you considered, you know, killing yourself just out of curiosity, Ryan, if you were to kill yourself, how would you kill yourself? Um, well, when I was thinking about it, it was probably with a gun. With a gun. Okay. Fair enough. Um, and then just out of curiosity, if you were to be totally honest, if you were to be totally honest, Ryan, how long was suicide part of the conversation in your head? Probably popped in there for about six months. That's fair. To what degree or how often are those thoughts still there? If you were to be totally honest, Ryan. Almost not at all. Almost not at I all. I really I was able to squash it, kind of. And what was the biggest thing that shifted to you not feeling as pressured? Just trying to give less fucks um, and just keep moving on. What is the single biggest difference then between then when you were seriously considering ending it and now? What is the single biggest difference in your life? I've just tried to focus my mind on what's really important and not let everything just enter my mind all at the same time because it's just too much to bear everything together. And, and you said, now I find myself faced with bigger problems getting out of the army. Um, and transitioning into civilian life unexpectedly. It almost sounds like what? What the hell is going on there? Getting medically discharged. I see. And may I ask what the reason is for the medical discharge? Yeah, I, uh, I blew out my knee. Had to get knee surgery. Um, I'm just recovering, but I'm just 
they're probably going to find me unfit for duty here and uh, then they'll be sending me on my way. What sort of work have you done for the army that requires good knees? Infantry. What's that? Infantry. Oh God. Wow. You're, you're hardcore, man. Wow. Thank you, dude. Seriously. Fucking thank you for protecting my country, man. I'm, I'm madly, madly grateful for all your hard work and the years of your life you've given up. I, I speak on behalf of the team. We are fucking grateful, man. Appreciate it. You bet. So let me ask you, what is the hardest part about this unexpected transition into civilian life out of the army? What is the single hardest part in one sentence or less distill it down to its essence? It's, it's really the logistics of it. Um, you know, finding a place for my family to live, uh, finding employment, finding a way to provide. Is part of the fear and anxiety that I don't know what the hell to do. I don't have a job. I don't know what to, what sort of work to do. Is that part of the equation or do you know what you want to do? I've always had so many dreams. Um, it's, it's focusing them and, and applying towards one, you know, that's going to work out. And and obviously you never know what's going to work out, but What's, having, the, what's the biggest dream? What's the one you really want to pursue? What's the, wait, 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 wait. What's the giggle? Tell me, what's the giggle? It's, it's, I, it's so many, you know, like. Okay, but what's the one? I, I know what? that I can do whatever I want. Uh-huh, like, but. But it, I don't know which one's going to work out. It's the fear of the unknown. No, well, of course. But that's kind of what makes dreams dreams and what makes it both scary and exciting. So I'm not asking you which one is going to work out because there's no fucking way of knowing. My two producers had massively and still have massively successful careers. Rob was a senior vice president at a motion picture studio in TV and shit like that. KC built a you know, giant company in the fashion industry in New York City. They didn't know when it worked out. You know, they were young. How old are you? How old are you, Ryan? 27, son. You're 27. Shit, I didn't know my career was going to go anywhere. But what do we do? It's like anything, man. It's like when you go into battle, you don't know if you're going to win or lose. You don't know if you're going to get your head blown off that day. You don't know. And it's scary as crap. But what do you do? You go do it, right? That's right, son. So let me ask you, Ryan, again, what's the one dream of all your dreams What's the one that motivates you the most? It gets you the most excited. <laughs> you giggle again. What's the giggle? It sounds silly. And I mean, if, if I really was going to say, like, I'm going to do what the fuck I want, uh, I would just go be a singer. You know, I've had been in bands. Uh, I love singing. Yeah. All right. Why not? Why not go <laughs> build a singing career? Why not? What's the voice inside of your head? What does it say? It's, it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough industry. Oh, sure. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Just, so we're clear. If you want to be a, a, a steam fitter or a uh, rigger in the city where we are, in New York City, it's a fucking tough industry to get into. You got to get into a union. Do you know how hard it is to get into the unions in New York City? No. It's tough as hell. And the work is hard. That's anything, man. Yeah, it's hard. I went after my dreams because I knew even if I'm going to be poor in this lifetime, even if I'm going to be poor, I want to be poor going after what I love. Speaking, writing, counseling. To this day, what do I do? Speak, write, and counsel, right? I worked so many part-time jobs to support my career, to support my kids, to put a roof over my head, you know, lived lean. Because to me, the priority was if I'm going to spend 40 hours a week, if I'm going to spend 60 hours a week or now 80, 90 hours a week, 
doing something, it better be something I love. That's how I chose to live my life. And I'm not forcing that on you. You can live your life however you want, right? It's your life, right? But I was still able to support my family, but it was my dream. And it got me out of bed every single day. I woke up this morning at 3.30 in the morning. I'm working on my next book. Shit, I didn't get to bed last night until about 11. But I was fired up, ready to go, started writing. Back when I was writing my first, my second book, back in the early 2000s, I was working three jobs living in Los Angeles and writing every morning. Okay, so the truth is you can be a singer. You can build a career in singing. My son always wanted to have a career in sports, but he came out of high school and he decided he didn't want to play in college, whether he felt you know, it wasn't a priority or didn't feel he could compete at whatever level, but he wanted to go to a sports school, went to LSU, right? Shout out LSU women's basketball, right? National champions. He wanted to go to a sports school. He knew he wanted to spend the rest of his life in sports, but he doesn't play. But guess what he does? He's in sports sales and he's so good at it. He's general manager at a major U.S. university in sports sales, ticket sales and stuff. There are a million careers out there, but you go after, and because he went after sports and that's what he knew he wanted, one door opens another door. Doors open doors, open doors. So my question to you though is this, Ryan. What is the one sentence you most fear someone saying to you or most fear people thinking about you if you were to make the decision to pursue a singing career? What is the one sentence that strikes fear in your bones or that would be the most painful to know someone is thinking about you or for someone to say to you? What's the one sentence? Yeah, you're not going to go anywhere with this. You're not going to go anywhere with this. Why would someone say that? What do you think? They're, are they saying... Gee, because it's so hard, or is it because you're such a loser, or what are they really saying? You're not going to go anywhere with this. You can't make any money out of it. Um, you're not good enough. Can't make money, and you're not good enough. And just out of curiosity, so you're not going to go anywhere with this. You can't make money at it, and <clears throat> you're not good enough. All right, so let me ask you then the question. If that's sort of the sentence, I gave you a couple of commas. We made it into one long run-on sentence, but it's a good sentence. You're not going to go anywhere with this because you, you can't make any money off it, and you're not good enough. And that's really what it is. Okay, so let me ask you, who is the one person that you most fear hearing that from or that them thinking about it, you or the one person it would hurt the very most to get it from or the one person who is most likely to say it? <laughs> not in a bad way, but my wife. Why do you most fear her saying it or why would it hurt the most? Or are you saying she's the one most likely to say it? She's my partner, you know, we're in this together. And if she was to say things like that, it would, it would just cut deep, you know? It would. If you were to weigh the percentages, what percentage is she likely to say that? What percentage is she unlikely to say that? Is it 80-20? Is it 5-95? Is it 60-40? What are we talking about here? Percentage that she's likely to say it? I would say 80-20. And 80% that she would or that she wouldn't say it? That, that she would. <laughs> so isn't that interesting? And you're, you're laughing. What's going on inside you? What's the laugh? Talk to me. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've lightly hinted at it, you know, um, and it's just never been like a great response. Right. Obviously, she loves me, but <laughs> there's no like appeal to it for her. What does sure. she, right. And what does she want you to do? Go to school, find a job, which I want to do too. It's, it's stable you know, but it's not, it's not the dream, you know? And so my friend, you were at a juncture in life. Yes. I just out of curiosity of your two parents, 
which one would be most likely to be supportive? Which one would be most likely to be critical? Or would they both be supportive or would they both be critical? They'd both be supportive. They'd both be supportive. Mm -hmm. Forgive me for asking the obvious question, but um, when did you first have the dream of being a singer? When I was young, real young. I want to say like 10. Then why'd you go into the military? If they would have been supportive of you becoming a singer, why'd you go into the military? I just never found it in myself to like make any money out of it. I never found it. Like I was going to go anywhere with it. Because... Wait, does that mean you didn't pursue it because you figured you wouldn't make money out of it? Or I did pursue it a bit, but because I didn't make any money off, out of it, I aborted it. I just didn't see it being a, a stable way to live. Okay, fine. You didn't see it as a stable way to live. Fair enough. Where did you get the orientation that your life needs to be about being stable? Because when you're young, you want to pursue a dream, but you got a counter message that outweighed that. And you weren't born with the belief, I need to be stable. You didn't come out of the womb saying, I, I, I need to be stable. Okay, so I'm wondering, where did that come from? Whose, vo whose voice is that? Because you aborted the singing long before you met your present wife, right? Mm -hmm. So her voice is an avatar of someone else's voice in your life. And I'm wondering, whose voice did she take over for on the stability thing? I, I want to say myself. Yeah, you want to say that, but I'm, I'm sorry. When you were four years old, you weren't thinking about stability. You were thinking about dreams when you were six years old, when you were eight years old. You think about dreams and things you really want to do with your life. That is the natural state of a child, to dream. And so something else got, it, that message of got to be stable, got injected in there. And I'm wondering where the hell it came from. I've just always had this sense of having to be greater than what I grew up in and like, make something out of myself, something big. Okay. Um, I didn't grow up in the best cigarettes. Fair enough. How does that relate to becoming a singer and choosing <laughs> to not become a singer and choosing to be stable? I never had stability growing up. Like, okay. really. Okay, so the stability thing then you want for yourself. Right. Is that true? Or is that you feel like you should? <laughs> I guess I feel like I should. Yeah. Okay, where's the should coming from? Well, now I'm a father. Um, I've chosen to bring children to this world. And okay. Yeah, that's I right. I definitely need to do that now. But that's, that's right. You know, not from before. Right. Okay. Right. That's not from before. And that's that's part of, I have to believe, what's uh, operating inside your wife. You know, she's thinking about providing for kids and she's thinking about the family she wants and you want the family too and you want to provide for your kids. But I got news for you. Rob was largely a single dad. KC raised two daughters as a single mom. So... You can work and raise kids. You can go after a dream. Forgive me, I could be wrong, but you just sort of said two different things. You know, because of where I grew up, I, I want, always want to do something big, right? And then you talk about being stable. Well, doing something big and being stable are almost two different things. In fact, they're almost polar opposites because the willingness to do something big requires the willingness to sort of be unstable, to take risk. So what is the bigger driver? What is your authentic, apart from the shoulds, of what parents say, apart from the shoulds of what a wife says, what is yours? If you were to be totally honest and you never have to act on this. So often in life, we think if I say something shit, then I got to act on it, right? Steve keeps telling me his problems. And I say, hey, Steve, when are you going to fucking act on it, man? Shut the fuck up and act. No, no, no. In this setting, we're just talking. You don't ever have to act on anything. All right. The moment you walk out my office door, you're golden. You get to live your life your way. But I want to ask you this question, Ryan. And it's simply this. What do you deep down in your soul? Feel, what do you feel called to do with your life? You. Just raise these kids, man. That's all, that's all I care about. That's all I care about now, really. Okay, that's very interesting because literally about 
two minutes ago, eight minutes ago, 10 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, you said you had this dream of being a singer. Mm -hmm. So now you're saying the only thing you care about is raising these kids. So all of your aspirations for your life and the things that would make you happy as well, those are out the window? It seems to, I've put my, like all my, my dreams and myself on the back seat, really. Okay. And the truth is that's your choice. If you, if you want to make that choice, you can. And there's nothing wrong with that. And kids being a high priority in your life, nothing wrong with that. Um, a few things for you to think about. One, nothing will inspire your kids more than seeing you simultaneously loving them, loving on your wife, and going after something that you believe in. That's how you teach them passion. You make them your life, your entire life, and all of a sudden they almost feel responsible for making you happy or whatever it might be. And it may not transition to that, but very often it does. And the child, somewhere deep inside them, it registers some measure of pressure. So I personally am not an advocate of saying, well, I'm going to kill my own dreams and just live for my kids. If somebody chooses it, choose it. It's your life. You get to live it your way. You're a grown-ass man. You can do whatever you want. But I just don't understand why you can't do both. You've almost set it up as a binary equation. It's either or. It's one or zero. And I guess what I'm asking is why can't you simultaneously pursue a singing career and provide stability and money to pay the bills? You know? <laughs> why, what? Uh, Tell me. What's funny? Talk to me. Why? Why? What's the laugh? Uh, what is it? Tell me about just, the laugh. Why I did you laugh? Stupid, you know? What's that? I just like, uh, I just feel stupid, you know? Like, why? Because it's absolutely doable. Like people do it. People do these things and it's figuring out how to, how to unfuck my brain so that I can do it is the problem really. Well, well then what's the fuckery in your brain that needs unfucking? Because to me, it seems like, and I could be wrong. You tell me I'm wrong. I don't mind being wrong. All right. But it seems to me like it's fear. I'm terrified of my wife not approving. I'm terrified probably of other people being critical. And I'm not fully convinced that mom and dad are would be as supportive as you say, especially when you have two kids and you say you're going to be a singer. I'm not convinced because somewhere in you, you got a stability message. And I know you think it's yours, but I'm willing to bet. And maybe you do want stability. Maybe there was so much chaos and unruliness and, and you know poverty in your life that that is something you want. But it's not either or. It's not either I become a singer or I, you know, be stable. It's both. But fucking hell, man, you kill yourself and that's going to bleed into everything. And I don't mean kill your, your actual self. I mean killing your soul and killing your passions and your dreams so that other people can be happy. Dude, you've done that. You have served my country. You have offered up your life in service of my country, my values. But <laughs> you get to live too. And I think part of the problem, I was suicidal. You know, I was in a 12-year suicidal depression for 12 years. I've been where you are. And really, ultimately, what takes a person there and or keeps a person there is the extinguishing of their own voice, right? And I know it feels like the honorable thing to sacrifice your life for your children, but you're not doing them any fucking favors by killing your dream. In fact, you want to inspire them? You want to help them be free? Tell me, do you want your children to pursue their dreams? Yes. Obviously, right? Well, <laughs> do you think it would be inspiring to a kid to have a father going after his dream? Do you think it would be inspiring for a kid to be cheering their father on, to be so proud? <clears throat> Even if you don't succeed, that you're living your dream, that you're free and you're alive. Do you think that spirit would radiate down to them of, of aliveness? Yes, man. I do think that. 
That'd be, I mean, yeah, I think that'd be great. Would you have been inspired if you had a parent who did that? Or maybe you did have a parent who did that. Um, no, I didn't have that, but yeah, I, I imagine so. Yeah. And so let me ask you this then on this idea of doing two things, not just one, but doing two things, providing stability and love to your kids and family and pursuing your dream. I'm literally in a studio right now with three people. Well, I'm with two people. So there are three people who've done that. So the notion of doability, it's, we are all living proof that it's totally doable. So it's not, a, and people do it all the time. My son wanted to have a career in sports. He's doing it. My daughter wanted to have a, a life in uh, crisis management. She went to LSU as well. In, in disaster relief management, that was exciting to her. I had never heard of it, but that's what she wanted. And she's living it. She's some, you know, real hard worker in a mid-sized U.S. state. I'm very proud of her. And she's proud of herself, most importantly. People going after their dreams, figuring it out, man. This idea that you have to sacrifice your life for everyone, you did it. You paid that debt. Not that there ever was one you had to pay, but you gave a great gift. But now come alive. Teach your children how to come alive by how you live your life. So what's the biggest fear? What is the biggest fear in standing up and saying, I know what I want to do and I'm going to figure out a way. And just for the record, dude, I was working waiting tables. I loved waiting tables. If I ever lost my gig and my books and everything, I go back to waiting tables. I fucking love waiting tables, right? I've had a million jobs. I don't give a shit. I want to do what I want to do with my life. So what's your biggest fear in all of this? If you were to go after your dream and raise your kids your way and be a loving, doting husband, what's your biggest fear? I'd fail, wind up alone. Uh-huh. That's right, man. And you said, I want to do, uh, you know, I've always wanted to do something great. Yes, that's always the price of going after a dream. And for years, I didn't have any success. For years, like over a decade. And, but I kept writing my books. One book, another book. Nobody was fucking reading my books, Ryan. Nobody. I was the first author ever to write on the spiritual but not religious movement long before anyone had even heard of it. Nobody read it for very few people. Got some good reviews, whatever, but nobody read it. Nobody read my second book, my third book, my fourth book. Even when I wrote There's a Hole in My Love Cup, very few people were reading it. I was represented by the top literary agency in the country, so my writing was good. That was a confirmation. Nobody was reading it, and then it just exploded. Yeah, you gotta be willing to fail. I'm sorry, that's just the price of greatness. That's the price of happiness. That's the price of going after your dream. But if, if I have, this is why so many people abort their dreams. I have a dream going in this direction that I really wanna go do this. But it's so scary that people go tick, 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 and they go 30 degrees in a different direction because it's less scary. Or they go tick, 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 and they go 180 degrees in the opposite direction because they're so afraid. But there's no enemy to fight in open combat now. Now the enemy is within. Now the fear is within. And fear that I might not succeed. Fear that I might fail. Yeah, that's right. So I want to ask you one last question, Ryan. What is the single biggest question that you have for me right now? How do I just like, from father to father, like just how do I fucking raise these kids and not fuck them up? You're going to you know? fuck them up. You're going to fuck them up, Ryan. You're going to make mistakes. I had the best parents in the fucking world and they made mistakes. And my mom atoned for the mistakes that she made. She was a doting, loving mother. Criminy, she taught at the graduate level in early childhood education. So she was a pro. She made mistakes. And on her deathbed in her final year, she said to each of her kids, again, because she had done it 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier, she said, if I have done anything to cause you pain, please tell me 
so that I can take that rock out of that out of that sack on your back. Any rocks that are left in that sack on your back that I put there, please give them to me because I don't want you to carry them. She atoned. She was always open. And you're going to make mistakes. You need to assume you're going to make mistakes. There are lots of great tools out there for fathering. The goal is not perfection. The goal is the willingness to fail, the willingness to make mistakes, the willingness to keep trying, the willingness to be deliberate, to learn, to study. There's, there are great books out there on parenting, so many great books. One off the top of my head, Scream Free Parenting by uh, Hal Runkle. It's a phenomenal book, bestseller, all right? That's just one. I was raised as a Spock baby back in the 60s, and that book is still in use. It's in like its 40th edition on baby and child care or whatever it is. There are so many great books out there. Take a class with your wife on parenting, but you need to be willing to make mistakes. It's just like pursuing your singing career. You gotta be willing to fail. And what do we do? What did we learn in sports growing up, Ryan? Get up, brush the dirt off, ask yourself, what was that failure sent to teach me? Losses mean just as much to a team as wins. We learn more from our losses than we do from the wins. All right? You're going to fuck up, Ryan. I got news for you. You're going to fuck up. But listen to your kids. Words matter. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Be supportive. Be encouraging. Be the father you wish you would have had. And maybe you did have. You don't take the good and the bad, but there's so much you can do and be delivered. But the biggest thing you need to do to become a better parent is heal your own past. Heal your own childhood, which is what my work is about. There's a hole in my love cup. Dive into the book. Do the fucking exercises. Check back into the show to my producers. You know, if you have questions or whatever, need help along the way. But dude, heal your own childhood, but have the balls to live. Be an example of aliveness to your kids by shedding all those rocks in your back and that sack on your back and have the courage to be passionate about life. You're going to make mistakes. Be willing to atone. Own it to your kids. Own it. Say, I'm sorry. You know what? I hurt you when I said that, little Stevie or whatever your child's name is. I, you know what? I shouldn't have said that. I made a mistake. But also, you can't be afraid to be firm because they need boundaries. They need structure. But don't be a dick. There's never a need to be a dick. And I guess the last little piece, especially when they're little, is that disciplines or punishments should be commensurate to the crime that was committed, right? The law of proportionate response. When children are little, you don't have to raise your voice. When if my daughter, when she was two or three, did something, let's say she hit her brother when they're doing a puzzle, she didn't. But if she had, I'd say, sweetheart, you need to go up to your room and take a minute time out. And she'd be bawling. I didn't raise my voice. I just said, why is she bawling? One, she realized she did something bad. She, and my parents, when raising me, said, Sven, you're not a bad person. You just did a bad thing. You're divorcing the action from the identity. Don't let your child, don't say you're a bad boy or you're a bad girl. No, say, that way, you're not a dumb person, Sven. You just did a dumb thing. My mom said that a lot. Um, but when, <laughs> when I, but the other, she, so having the crime, so to speak, identified and then being removed from the community. So she had to go for a minute in her room. She's crying the whole time because that hurts. No, if I'm raising a voice at a two year old, at a four year old, at a six year old, I'm the one that is undisciplined. I need to learn to dip, discipline myself. Ryan, you're going to be a great father. You are a great father. Just keep loving them. Just love them. Just love them. Keep studying more parenting books. Take a parenting class with your wife or two and learn. Be willing to make mistakes. But Ryan, I, I'm pretty certain I speak on behalf of my team and behalf of all of our listeners around the world. We're all hoping that you pursue that singing career. Because even if, remember, 
one door opens to another door. Doors open doors, open doors. As my 93-year-old mother said before she passed away, she said it for decades. Sometimes we have to pass through this door before we ever learn there's another door over there that's leading us that we're excited about. Follow your energy, follow your passion, go through the doors. I know that I, I speak for all of us when we say, go after that fucking career, man. Go after it. Do both. Do it all. You can do it, man. You're a strong man. Do it all. Ryan, thank you so much for being on the show. I think you're a wonderful guy. Uh, let me ask you one last question. What are you feeling right now? Feel good, Spen. I feel great. And and give me a feeling word. Mad, sad, bad, glad, frustrated, excited, disappointed, melancholy. Give me a feeling word. I would say just, I'm just happy. I'm happy. Why are you happy? You know, I can, I kind of feel like it weights off my chest, you know, finally got to talk something out with somebody who knows a thing or two, you know? Yeah. And you're going to have to have the courage. If you decide to do this, you're going to have to have the courage to stand up to your wife and she's going to have to decide if she loves you, if she really loves you for who you are, or do I just love him? Cause he's going to be, you know, who I want him to be. And don't let anyone in your life be a dream killer. And she's, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. But you be you, and the ones who really love you will get so excited that you have the courage to be you. That's authenticity. That's courage. That's grit. And if you ask KC about her career, you ask Rob about his career, it took grit. I want to thank you for being on the show, Ryan. And uh, you've been a great guest. Thank you for opening up. I really appreciate it. And for all of you tuning in, we'll be right back with Elodie after this short break. Hi, this is KC. There's an update from the Badass Counseling Desk. The audiobook version of the book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, is now available exclusively only at badasscounseling.com. KC, you've been raving about Born Primitive's Limitless Leggings. Now, as a guy who knows nothing about leggings, why do you like them so much? I know you ran a company in the garment industry for years. I gotta believe your standards are very, very high. Oh my God, I love these leggings. Why is that? First off, they use a nylon spandex ottoman fabric that's compressive without being restricting, stretchy while still being really supportive. They also have a high waistband that's doubled, so it really holds in your tummy. Plus, I like that it gives me a badass butt, and the fabric and stitching are really high quality. Born Primitive is definitely my go-to athletic wear brand from now on. Sven, you've been really loving the men's pants and shirts these past few months. Yeah, I have. Born Primitive shirts fit snug for a great muscle look, and they're flexible. They move with you, not against you. But to be honest with you, I most love the Frontier pants, which are made for active outdoors, and I use them when I'm in the woods camping or just splitting wood on my property. And I wear the perfect-fitting Traverse pants when I'm going out for the evening. They're sporty, but they feel great. I love them. But the coolest part, Born Primitive is veteran-owned and operated. And as you know, the Badass Counseling Show supports our veterans and all who serve. Go to bornprimitive.com. Get 25% off your first three items purchased. Just type in the code BADASS. bornprimitive.com. Code BADASS. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the Badass. And we are back with the Badass Counseling Show. I have our next guest, Elodie. Such a lovely, harmonious, sing-songy name. I love it. Rob, tell us about Elodie. 
Here we go, Sven. In uh, lowercase I, she said, I don't really know where to start. I'm 20 and I have a very complicated family. I have 11 siblings and I'm the second youngest. We all grew up in an abusive and religious household and I ended up getting kicked out when I was 16. I started experimenting and numbing the pain with drugs at the age of 15. I've only dated abusive men. I have bad anxiety and PTSD. I feel I can never catch a break. I recently broke up with an abusive ex a couple of months ago. I had to move back in with my mom because of my money situation and because she needs help around the house with my stepdad, who is very sick. I just started talking to a new guy. He seems incredibly sweet, supportive, and respects my boundaries, but I'm scared to get in another relationship. I don't want to feel trapped again. I have no idea how to tell him how messed up I am. I feel like my dad ruined me. I had so many ideas on what a relationship should be, and they were all wrong. I hate him for desensitizing me to abusive behavior. I feel like I've gotten a lot better over the years. I have more boundaries, but I still feel like a pushover. I don't know how to start another relationship safely. I can't ask for my sibling's point of view on this new guy because a lot of them say they liked my ex, but they didn't really know who he really was. LOD, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Where are you calling in from today, LOD? Um, British Columbia. Oh, wow. Is the sun shining in mm -hmm. British Columbia today? Yes, it is. Lovely. The weather's starting to actually get nice here. I'm pleased to hear that. Well, let's dive right in. Um, you grew up in an abusive and religious household, second youngest of uh, 12 kids. Uh, the abuse came from whom? Mostly my father. Biological father, right? Yeah, biological father. Okay, mostly, but who else? You know, my mom wasn't perfect either, so there's also that side of it. And what does that mean? You you just went from abusive father to then, you, you said mostly my father, and then when you shift to talking about your mom, you almost speak in euphemism. You say it sort of nicely, well, you know, she wasn't the best either. So was it abuse or was it, gee, you know, she could have a bad day? What are we talking about? I don't know. It's hard to explain. I feel bad for talking like bad about her, but. Okay, well, uh, stop right there. Stop right there. <laughs> And it's okay to feel bad if you feel bad. There's nothing wrong with that, Elodie. I'm just curious. Why do you feel bad about talking bad about her? Is it because what you're saying isn't true? Are you telling lies? No, it's, it's because like she was with an abusive man for such a long time. And I feel like that really influenced her mood and how she could handle things. Oh, I'm sure it did. But that doesn't answer the question for me. The question is, is what you are saying about your mom, which you technically haven't even said yet, is what you are saying about your mom true or untrue? What you're about to tell me about, because we were talking about abuse, dad <laughs> abused you, you didn't say what mom did, is what you're about to tell me factually true or factually untrue? Okay, it's true. Okay, so you feel bad not because you're telling a lie, you feel bad because you're telling a truth. And you feel bad telling that truth. If I heard you correctly, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Elodie, seriously, I don't mind being wrong, okay? I just want to understand. You okay. feel bad telling the truth because mom had it so hard. Did I hear you correctly on that? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so you are fundamentally, if I'm hearing you correctly, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you are excusing mom's behavior. You don't want to talk about what mom did because 
well, she did her best. She had it so hard and so on and so forth. So you, you are excusing her, you called it abuse, your word. You are excusing mom's abuse of a child because, gee, I understand she had it so hard. So you are, so let me ask you this now. What precisely did mom do or not do that qualifies as abuse? Well, I mean, you know, there's some moments she'd get physical, but I feel like it was mostly mental and like not being emotional with us. Okay. There were times when she would get physical. What specifically are we talking about? Specifically? Like, <laughs> well, there's one moment I remember uh, me and my brother were arguing and she would just, she did this a lot. She'd just come up to us and she'd smack both of our heads into each other. And it hurt. Just, yeah, yeah. What? Just like stuff like that. Just like stuff like that. So uh, bash your heads together. What else? Give me another example. I don't think spanking's a bad thing, but I feel like my mom would take it a little extreme sometimes. She'd make us like go out and pick her own stick or grab a hairbrush or a spoon, do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so not just spanking, but extreme spanking. And basically, yeah. <laughs> you you have to choose how I'm going to punish you. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the emotional abuse came in the form of what? Growing up, having like any sort of emotion. When I was at the age of like puberty and stuff, every time she saw me crying, she'd be like, oh, are you on your period? Or like... If I told her about my friend being suicidal, she'd say like, oh, she's fine. She's not going to go kill herself. Like very just like unemotional. Okay. Unemotional. And what is the underlying message being conveyed to you in those instances when it comes to emotions and your feelings and so forth? What is the underlying message she is conveying to you? Pretty much that she doesn't care about like how I'm feeling or what I'm going through. And so what did you do with your feelings then? I just kind of hit it. Didn't really, you know, show her that emotional side of me because she obviously couldn't or didn't know how to deal with it. Okay. Do you ever desire to have children someday? And yes, no is okay. There's no judgment. I'm just curious. Is that something that you see in your future? Definitely. I, I think I would like to have kids down down the road. Okay. Is it reasonable to assume that when you have kids down the road, whether it's 10 years or 20 years or whatever you choose, whether you have them biologically or adopt or whatever, is it reasonable to assume that you will hit their heads together and do some extreme spanking and insist that they not have any emotions? Is it reasonable to assume that you will do those things? No. I, why is it? Wait, why is I'm that? I'm going to do everything differently. Oh, why is that? Why aren't you going I, to bash your kids' heads together, uh, <laughs> going to extreme spanking and uh, shut down their emotions and even mock their emotions? Why aren't you going to do that? Because it's it's not right. And why is it not? Why is it not right? Why is it not right? I don't really know how to answer that. Yes, question. you do. You're good with your words. You are great with your words in your write up and so um, far today. Why is it not right? What's so wrong about what she did? If you saw someone at the grocery store doing these things to their child, or it's someone you knew and you knew that they insisted that they, you know, their little girl shut down her emotions, their teenage girl shut down their emotions or mocked for it, and you knew that they did the extreme spanking and you've seen them knock their heads together, what would you feel for that little girl? Or, and what would you feel towards that parent? What would you feel? Uh, I feel very 
very sorry and bad for them because you know that's you want to set your kid up for success not failure and how does all of these things set them up for failure what's the underlying message it conveys to the child it teaches them all the wrong habits it teaches them how to shut down and just deal with stuff as it as it goes and it teaches them you know like your emotions aren't valid. Your emotions are okay. And then it'll cause them more problems growing up with, you know, letting people in and trying to explain themselves or trying to figure out their own emotions. What is the message that the parent is conveying to the child about the child by doing all of these things and saying these things? What is the parent conveying to the child about the child, about the child's worth, about the child's importance? What are the messages that you felt sort of, as you think about it, were conveyed to you or that that parent is conveying to that little girl that you feel sorry for? What are the messages being conveyed, the underlying messages? You're not important to your burden more, if anything. Right. You're not important and you're a burden. What do you think the fucking messages were that your mother and your father, and your mother was dad light. You know, I mean, she was the lighter version, it sounds like. But those, mm -hmm. but yet she conveyed it. And she's conveying the message to you that you're a burden and you're not important. And here you are, you walked right back into her house. Why? Why? Because she needs help. So you are there, yes, your money was tight, but you are there saving the person, helping to save the person and her husband, helping to save them when she was the one who's been conveying you're not important. And here's one of the things, and you tell me if this happens has happened with you in your life, and maybe it hasn't, and that's okay. okay? But what often happens, and I, I had like two clients this way just this week, when there's one parent that's really a bad person, doing very bad things to the kids, as it sounds like you had, you said most of the abuse was from dad. So dad's the bad parent. So the family myth, the family story is there's the really bad parent and then there's the other parent. Maybe the other parent is the good parent. Maybe the other parent is the not as bad parent or the parent. The other parent is the absent parent or the quiet parent. But the other parent, that second parent, sort of lives in the shadow. And we never really see the bad of the other one. Because the other, the first one is so big and uh, such an ogre and such a monster, such a dragon, such an awful thing. And so the other one almost gets let off the hook. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting how you framed it, how you set it up? I said, tell me about the abuse. And you said, well, most of it was from dad. I said, your biological dad? You said, yeah, my biological dad. I said, but most of it, then who was the rest? You hesitated. You hesitated. And you said, I feel really guilty, feel bad even saying it. Right. So in other words, the story in your family, or at least inside of you that came from somewhere, dad, bad, mom, good, or at least nowhere near as bad. But it's like you even said, I feel bad saying it. You felt bad looking at the truth. Why do you not want to look at the truth? What's the fear driving the behavior? Well, you know, my mom, like she has been like really emotional like i mean emotionally like supportive a lot like she's changed over the years she's gotten a lot better i've talked to my siblings and we're like wow mom's actually being a mom like this is weird we don't know how to okay handle it <laughs> has she ever atoned for the past has she ever owned her shit and begged for mercy or at the very least said, I harmed you and it was wrong. I sinned against my own 
fucking children. Did you ever do that? There's definitely a few times where like uh, she was driving me and she'd start crying and saying how she could have done things differently and better, how she wished she could have given us like more and stuff like that. But she, I've definitely noticed. But she never actually <laughs> accounted for your feelings and, and allowed your feelings and tell me about how you felt and tell me what I did and I want to own it. There was never any, own, I mean, that's saying, gee, I feel bad. I wish I could have given you more. That's all, that's sort of almost an apology. And even in the voice that you said it, well, she, you know, said she felt bad and so forth. So it's like, it kind of was an apology. Maybe, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I mean, isn't that sort of what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, you said you were raised in a religious home. Was that just your father or was it your father and your mother? Well, it was, it was mostly just my mother. Oh, just your mother. Okay. And what religion was your mother or is your mother? She's Christian. Okay. And uh, we won't get into what particular flavor of Christian. She's Christian and she doesn't atone for her sins. She's Christian and she doesn't say, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have sinned against my children in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. She doesn't atone for her sin. That ain't Christian. Sorry. She abused her own children. And she did not ever show penitence, true contrition. Maybe let's race to the forgiveness part. Let's just forget about all it. And let's just, can we just race to forgiveness? And so you guys are caught. You guys are stuck because you love new mom. They're, it's weird what happened, disorienting. And I kind of like it, yeah. but what the fuck about the mom you've been for however long, just out of curiosity, how long has new mom been around? The past like three, four years. All right. Uh, Let's call oh, it. I would say, I would say like three years. Let's call it three. All right. <laughs> when she really started changing. Fair enough. 17 years, 17 years, she abuses her children. Uh, just out of curiosity, as the second to last, did other siblings have it worse, uh, not as bad or about the same as you got it? Well, um, I def definitely my older siblings, you know, they had it worse with the like physical like side I think mostly from like my dad and stuff but I think like with the emotional side with like my dad and my mom me and my younger siblings definitely got it a lot worse hmm. because when they got divorced we had to move back and forth between them Okay. And uh, so all of this was happening and and I know it sounds like I'm hammering on your mom here and I am uh, and there's just not enough hours in the day to hammer on your dad as well, but that's almost an easier one because it's harder when there's sort of the other parent, just out of curiosity, just so I'm clear, your father was abusing your kids, you kids, all your siblings, and your mother was too in different ways. So you literally had no escape. You had no refuge. Is that safe to say? Yeah. You were not safe in your own home for we know at least 17 years. Is that accurate or inaccurate? It's accurate. Although technically you got thrown out at 16 and you got thrown out what? Because yeah. because of the drugs, is that it or what? No, because um, I like moved in fully with my mom and I was like going out a lot and she didn't know where I was. So she kicked me out. <laughs> and how did that feel? 
Um, I felt very betrayed because like she changed the lock locks on the door and my little brother was still living there and he would let me in and she put a lock on my bedroom door so I can get access to my stuff. I actually ended up breaking the door down and just grabbing a bunch of my stuff and leaving. Good for you. And got to ask what uh, caused you, you said, I started experimenting and numbing the pain with drugs at the age of 15. What pain? What pain did you turn to drugs to numb from? And there is no judgment from me. I'm the last motherfucker on earth who can judge anyone for anything. So I am not judging you for the drug use. I'm not judging. I'm certainly not uh, judging you for getting thrown out, throwing out your own kid. Really? And you're going to blame it on the kid. Oh, the kid's the fucking problem. How convenient. Mm -hmm. No, you didn't cause these fucking problems, mom, dad. No, no, it's the kid. It's the kid. Right. Okay. So just so I'm clear, as succinctly as you can, what was the pain you were trying to numb yourself from? Like, I was really sad. I was hurt by like everybody. And, you know, not only did I have to deal with stuff at home, I had to deal with like guys at school harassing me and other things like that so it was just it was a lot to deal with and I didn't have anybody to really open up or talk to yeah I don't know I just started doing more drugs and hanging out with my friends and smoking weed every day and and uh worst drugs or most powerful drugs you took were what probably like cocaine but I only did it I only did it once fair enough try it out fair enough fair enough wasn't my thing. That's all right. No shame in that. You were a kid running from demons inside her own head that she never put there. I got news for you, Elodie. As I told Ryan in their first segment, you didn't come out of the womb sad and hating yourself. I mean, you were crying, but that's because the doctor spanked your butt to make sure your lungs work. <laughs> but <laughs> you didn't come out of the womb broken down with messages of self-hate. No, those got put into you. You are a beautiful, wonderful, creative, loving little girl. And then all the stuff, the monsters at home and the monsters at school, and then the monsters and their messages got inside of you. Let me ask you this question. For you personally, which was worse, the physical abuse from mom and dad or the emotional abuse from mom and dad? I would say the emotional abuse was definitely worse for me. Like, um, I have a lot of issues when people like raise their voice at me or yell at me. Like I shut down. I'll bet instantly. you do. I can't handle it. I'll bet. I want to go back and I want to stand in front of that little girl and those people raising their voice at her. I want to fucking raise my voice at them because I'm looking, I'm watching the movie of your life. I gave, you know, your paragraph, Steven Spielberg, he made a movie out of your life. I brought a hundred people into this <laughs> cinema. I promised them free popcorn and Cokes and junior mints. Brought my girlfriend and the projectionist is up there. So there's 103 of us. We're looking at the screen. I want to fucking kill your parents. Not literally. You have 12 children and you treat them that way? You treat them like they're a burden? Yeah, maybe you shouldn't have had so many kids. But I'm glad you had all 12, especially that 11th one. We really like her. But they're going to blame you for the very problem they created. And they're going to be abusive to, to, to children. First of all, children. It takes a small man, a small man to hit a child. It takes a small woman. And I don't mean physical stature. I mean smallness of character. To hit a child, but your own child? 
to emotionally abuse a fucking child and it's your own child? What kind of fucking piece of shit are they? Forgive me, but they are. And the fact that she, now the real crime though, is she sees it and she doesn't fucking own it. You know you did it. Hell, she knew she was doing it then. But now it's so big inside of her, she can't keep it in. She just starts randomly crying in the car. Fine, great, but there's no atonement. So she knows she committed wrong, but she doesn't own it. That's a small person. That's a small person. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. If you have those kids someday, and I'm sure they're going to be wonderful. If you have those kids someday, are you going to apologize when you hurt them? Oh, definitely. Why? I I want my kids to be comfortable with telling me how they're feeling. And if they don't want to do something, telling me no. Like I want them to know their boundaries and... Okay, and then if you're going to do all that, you have to heal your past. You have to be serious. Definitely. Yes, and that you wouldn't be here if you didn't want to, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so you want them to tell their feelings. Well, then let me ask you, what are your feelings right now? If you're to be totally honest, what do you feel as you think about your childhood? Be fucking honest, child. What do you feel about what was done to you? What do you feel towards your mother? What do you feel? I can tell you I feel hatred towards your parents. I'm not even going to lie. So I'm curious. I want to know how capable you are of being honest because you have space. You are in protected, safe space. No one is going to fuck with you on my show. Your feelings are welcome and they are safe here. I want to know though, are you ready to open that cigar box that you stuffed them all into? Are you willing to open the vault even just a little right now and tell me what you honestly feel? Yeah, um... I don't know. I feel very mixture of emotions. I feel like anxious and I don't want to, I guess I feel a little angry, but I feel more like resentment and regret. Regret. What do you feel regret over? Yeah. <laughs> I I feel regret over um, things I could have done differently to get myself like, out of that situation. Like what? Like what? What could you have done differently? And what age? When you were 15? When you were six, four? What, what are you talking about? I don't know. I accomplished a lot when I was 15. So. Yeah. So regret. Kid, you were trying to survive. You were trying to make the pain go away. Why was a 15-year-old having to worry about making pain go away? Sorry, that's the job of the parent. The job of the parent is to reach inside that child's love cup and pull out all the pain and to never put the crud there in the first fucking place. But they did. They put it in there and then they didn't take it out. Your mom still hasn't taken it out. All right. And you say, I feel a little bit angry. I'm willing to bet. And that's, that's good. That's good. And resentment. Of course, resentment is basically a kissing cousin of, of anger. But I'm willing to bet there are deeper, more powerful feelings in there. But here's the problem. In a home like you grew up in, and in a lot of homes, there are certain feelings that aren't allowed. You knew your feelings weren't allowed. You flat out told me that a few minutes ago. Your feelings weren't allowed, and I guarantee anger wasn't allowed. Do you want to know why? Because inside of anger is the word no. People shout loudest. Children shout loudest when feeling heard least. So your anger is no, this doesn't feel good. No, don't say that to me. No, mommy, that hurts. No, daddy, don't be a shit. No, I don't want to do this. No, that's not fair to me. No. But inside the word no is the word I. I don't like how this feels. I don't want to do that. That's not fair to me. 
So the reason anger isn't allowed is because the word I is not allowed. And so what the healing does of letting out all your feelings out of that cigar box, out of that vault that you packed them down into, even if you never say it to your parent, your parent can be dead and I'll still heal you. You can still heal you. You can heal without the parent. And you may be waiting a long fucking time if you're waiting from something from them, right? But the bottom line is, the bottom line is, is you have to open that fucking vault and be willing to look at the real shit and to be willing to get that out of you. I want to ask you this question though. When you were 15 and turned to drugs to numb yourself, when you were 15, what did you believe about yourself? Um, that's a tough one. <laughs> well, you know, I had a lot of um, emotions about like how I looked and how I presented myself. Did you and- think you were ugly? Did you think you were too skinny, too fat, oh, too stupid, too... What did you think of how you looked? Oh, yeah. I definitely still have some issues with that. Like, What did you think? I'm Put it into words. Fat. My face isn't skinny enough. Okay. Like, okay. And what did you think about... Acne. Too much acne. I, my face isn't skinny enough. What did you think about who you are and your character and you as a person? What did you think? What were you trying to numb yourself from? You said the pain. What did you believe about yourself? Did you think you were unlovable and unwantable? What did you believe about yourself? Because it must have been some pretty big pain to want to numb yourself from it. You said the emotional pain was worse than the physical pain, which implies that it put messages inside of you. What were the messages that were put inside of you that you believed at that age? What were the messages? I definitely felt like, you know, I didn't belong here. Like I wasn't even meant to be like in this family or in this situation. Like I was just taking up air. Like, mm. why would you feel that? Is it because you were a bad person? You believed you were a bad person. You were no good. You were a loser. What else ran through your head? Yeah, I, I definitely, you know, felt like I was, was a loser and not worth anybody's time. And just, I just felt like I was just like a waste of space. Like I just shouldn't be here. <laughs> Did you uh, consider killing yourself? Uh, yeah, there's quite a few incidents where I try something. Right on. And uh, is that still somewhat of a theme in your life? Is that thought still a thought? Is that action still an action? I mean, you know, it definitely like is in the back of my mind sometimes, but I'm, I think I'm pretty good at the stage of where I am in my life where I I don't want to die. Like I don't feel the need to, get rid of myself because of my emotions and what's going on in my life anymore. Fair enough. So you were 15. I don't belong here. I'm just taking up space. I'm a loser. I'm not worth anybody's time. You know, my face is too fat. I have acne, et cetera, et cetera. Huh? That is not a 15 year old's natural state. There's some self-consciousness that's natural, but all of that, it's not your natural state. It's not a child's natural state. You were taught to believe those things and you weren't just getting at school. See, it's one thing to get it at school from bullies or out in the world. It's kind of part of life. It's unfortunate, but it's inevitable. We all get that, all right? But if you're getting a counter message at home, then those, the bullies in the world, their messages sort of roll off our shoulders like water off a duck's back to some degree. And we we can get it out. But if you're getting the exact same message at home or you're getting a worse message at home, then there's no safety. Then that becomes your belief system. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's what happened, right? Yeah. What's the biggest question you have for me 
or what do you most want to say that you feel you haven't said or in your life has been unsaid? What do you most want to say or what do you most want to ask? How to know when people are being genuine. You know, I'm a very kind-hearted person. When when somebody's my friend or like I love them, I tend to give too much of myself and you know, they definitely don't reciprocate that back all the time. So So how do you know? Right, right. How about this? How about this? Two things I'm going to tell you. And you do what you want, Elodie. You're an autonomous, independent entity in this lifetime. You don't have to do anything I say. Take it, throw it in the trash if it doesn't feel right. Here's what you need to do. You need to heal that fucking childhood. You do. You need to dive into self-help. You need to start journaling. You need to start writing letters. You need to start letting out your authentic emotions. I forced you today to be honest about shit you didn't want to talk about. I And I didn't even really get down deep enough into the most powerful feelings and drag it out of you, but that's what needs to happen. Mm-hmm. You need to do it. Otherwise, you're going to be carrying all those strong feelings. You can't go light on mom just because she had it hard. Who gives a shit? You were a fucking child. She had infinite power. You had zero power. To the child, she was God, basically, because she had all the power. She didn't get you out of there. In fact, she contributed to it. So you need to start flushing out all of your pain. You need to start flushing out all of your sadness. You need to be honest about what you really feel. You need to pull up all of those emotions that that little girl stuck into the vault, and you need to start letting it out. You have to, or you won't be ready to raise a child. You'll be doing the exact same thing that your parents did, and that is carrying their own childhood into parenting 12 children. Okay, but I'm going to answer your question. The way... You know, it's two things. One, the more you heal that, all the pain from your childhood, the more you do that, you'll become more in tune to your own inner feel, your own inner voice, even more. You already are, whether you're aware of it or not. But you'll become more in tune. And when something is doesn't feel right inside, you'll feel it very clearly. And then you'll also have the courage to say no. You'll have the courage to take half a step back. You'll have the courage to not keep giving love in hopes of getting a little bit. See, that's what you've been doing. You've been an extreme giver, probably giving, 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 hoping they'll give me a little bit of love in return because even that little bit of love is 10 times more than you ever got growing up. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way, Definitely. yeah, and the way we know whether or not we can trust someone is basically think of it as a one-to-one that I'm going to give one unit, one ounce. I'm here in Canada, you guys use the metric system. I'm going to give <laughs> a one milliliter or one liter of love, and I wanna see one milliliter, one liter from you. The way you know is when it doesn't feel good, stop giving. At least starting out, when you're starting out, if somebody doesn't feel good, if they don't apologize, if they're rude to you, you have to have the courage to hold them accountable. And when you do hold them accountable, it's you saying to the heavens, to the universe, to life, I matter. I, I, that I, you've got to find your I and you have to be willing to stand up for it knowing they may walk away. Do you want to know what a woman's superpower is? Or even for a man too, but a woman's real superpower is when she's not afraid of someone walking away. When she's not afraid of walking away from someone, be it a man, be it a lover, a woman, be it a parent, but you're afraid of being alone. You're afraid if they walk away, I'm unlovable and it confirms all the messages you got growing up. But you have to be willing. The more you get out those bullshit messages, the less you're afraid of them. And the more you'll stand up for yourself because you're not afraid of someone walking away from you. But you listen to when it doesn't feel good. 
when someone is treating you, and if they it, you wait one, maybe twice, where they don't give love in return or they do something hurtful, that's when you walk away. That's when you pull back. If they do it three times, four times, it can't go to three and four times because that's confirming old Elodie. New Elodie mm-hmm. has to, well, has to do this. Rob, just slip me a note. Rob, do you want to ask it or should I ask it? You go right ahead. I just noticed it when I saw her paragraph. Exactly. Do you remember what the first words out of Rob's mouth were when he read the paragraph that you sent us? And he did not doctor that before reading it. What was the very first thing he said? He said, he said, this is Elodie I, lowercase I. When you wrote to us, you wrote with a lower, may have been accidental, I'm sure it was, but with a lowercase I. Now, if that's not a fucking metaphor, do you see it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You're, you, you, even in your own, at some level, you write about yourself, think of yourself as small, as insignificant, taking up space. You don't even deserve to take up space. I'm just a little lowercase I. And as Rob says, you got to become capital I. He wrote a little note. Mm-hmm. You got you to go from lowercase to capital I. You have to matter. You have to believe in yourself. You have to not be afraid of people walking away. You have to believe in yourself and you will be loved, Elodie. You're beautiful, wonderful, young woman with, you have so much life ahead of you. Every single one of the women uh, here in my audience would love to be 20 again and to, do, and to be, have the opportunity to rewrite the script and to heal at 20 rather than doing their healing at 35 or 42 or 59 to have the opportunity. This is an opportunity, but you have to have the courage to find your capital I. You have to have the courage to go into your pain and begin flushing it out and flushing it out and flushing it out. Does that make any sense? It does, yeah. Let me ask you one final question, and it's simply this. What are you feeling right now? Because this has to be the question that drives all of your journaling and writing the letters that you don't send. You have to be able to tune into what you feel right now. So I want to ask you, what do you feel right now, Elodie? I think I feel relieved. And what is the most relieving part? What do you feel relieved of? Um, I don't know. I, I came on to this like just very nervous and not knowing really what was going to happen or like what we we're going to talk about. And I guess I just feel relieved that I'm not like so overwhelmed by like all the stuff I've started bringing up and talking about. Sure. Sure. And the truth is, as you bring this more and more stuff out of the vault, there are going to be times when you feel overwhelmed. Keep journaling, keep flushing it out, go into my book. There's a hole in my love cup and I have recommended books in there. There's some very powerful tools such as the Sedona method tools. In addition to journaling and letter writing tools for getting that pain, the sadness, the anger, And you've got to be honest about your feelings as well. It's not just a little angry. I'm willing to bet there's some rage inside of you, some probably hatred. And I don't expect you to say it on the show and we're sort of coming to the end of this show, but you have to be honest with yourself. You never have to express it to that person. I mean, if you want to, you can, but you have to be honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. That's what it means. You have to honor your eye before anyone else ever is going to. You have to fall in love with you before anyone else will. You have to value your feelings before anyone else ever will. You won't be able to truly teach your children how to live their eye and how to express their feelings if you don't model it. 
So we're working on your parenting, your future parenting in 10 years and 15 years. We're working on it right now. Now is yeah. when you become a better parent. Does that make any sense? It does. I mean, like uh, my sister, she's got two kids now and she's like, oh, there's all these emotions she didn't realize she had that is now coming up and she's trying to deal with it and not fuck her kids up at the same time. So. Amen. Amen. So that's a word to the wise. Yeah. That's a lesson from the old folks, right? Older sister. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And you need mm -hmm. to heed that advice. You need to start healing your childhood, but it's going to require you having the courage to be honest. And again, you never have to say word one to mom or to dad or anyone else, but you have to say it to yourself. You have to have the courage to be honest. Elodie, you have been such a treat to have on this show. I think you are such a sweet, kind, loving, but strong, obviously strong. You survived this long through all that crap. You're a tough woman. You have such a beautiful future ahead. And the notion you're just taking up space, bullshit. Bullshit. You're wonderful. You are going to have so much happiness in your life if you have the courage to do the healing. And you are going to have so many people, good people, who want to be your friend, who want to be around you. The more you heal from that, the more you unlock your natural, wonderful energy and your wonderful spirit. And I think you said you dated men, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to have so many men, <laughs> good men, kind men, <laughs> loving men, strong men. The more you do the healing work, you have nothing to be ashamed of from your past. You were just a girl trying to survive. All right. Thank you. Yes, I mean that. <laughs> and remember that sort of one-to-one -one correlation. You give some but you have every right to expect it in return. And if you don't expect it in your return, you're just going to keep giving and you're going to get into more shit relationships. And what happens when someone just gives and gives and gives? Someone else just takes and takes and takes and takes. Until mm -hmm. you find that relationship where no matter how much you give, you can't outgive the other person. Now, that's a beautiful relationship. I have that. Rob has that. KC has that. We talk about this stuff. Where, and friendships where I can't outgive the other person. That's love. Elodie, I want to thank you for being on the show. You've been great. Thanks for having me. Pleasure was ours. And to all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the wonderful story of both Elodie and Ryan, the stories, and to all of our friends around the world and across the U.S. and Canada, North America, and South America, and Latin America. Thank you for tuning in to the Badass Counseling Show on behalf of Rob and KC. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.